My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, good day to you wherever you are, whatever part of the day it is when you're watching this Thank you for joining me as we continue our journey through the Word of God. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're continuing our journey through this very significant chapter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Today we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 31. We're going to go through to the end of the chapter today. This is where the Apostle Paul starts to talk about the diversity and the unity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptised into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. The, the unity of the body of Christ is not a goal that needs to be achieved. It is a fact that needs to be recognised. Paul clearly says we were all baptised into one body. The main idea behind Christian baptism, water baptism, is the identification of the believer in the immersion process with Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 6 explains all of that. But here, Paul isn't talking about water baptism. He's talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. For by one Spirit we were all baptised into one body. Paul is writing of the common immersion of believers that is available to every single believer. Remember, Paul's going to go on and write to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. They were Christians. And he said, now listen, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but now you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, available to all. And he says, one body with many members. Paul is using this wonderful illustration of the human body to relate the working of how the community of believers should operate. Every single cell in a human body is linked by a common root, our DNA. But every single part of our body, the members, look different. They're treated differently. They work differently. They accomplish different purposes. So there's a massive diversity, just like there is in your body and my body, there's a massive diversity in the body of Christ, both in appearance and function, but every member has a common root and every member has a common goal. Paul says, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. Because of the fact that one body is a dynamic body, the dividing lines that have been created by the Corinthian Christians were... Paul was saying, they're just artificial. You made them up. Jew, Greek, slave, free, doesn't matter anymore. We're all in one body through Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's going to extrapolate this even more. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. If the foot felt that it could declare itself not part of the body because it was not a hand, then we would say that that's a very foolish or mistaken foot. Diversity does not ever disqualify one person from the body, ever. So here, Paul puts the question in the mouth of the one who feels excluded from the body. Guzik says this, It is as if some of the Corinthians said, I don't have this certain spiritual gift. I guess I'm not part of the body of Jesus Christ. After all, hands and eyes seem more important than glamorous than and more glamorous than feet and ears. So Paul warns and wants these Christians who felt excluded to know that they are indeed members of the body and their sense that they are not is just as foolish as the foot or the ear that feels excluded. Yet the same principle can be stated backwards and towards those who want to exclude others from the body. Paul could have just as well said the hand cannot say the foot is not of the body because it is not a hand. Paul wants Christians who might exclude others because they don't appreciate their place in the body to recognize the fact of unity. So if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Do you see the simple points that he's making so incredibly concisely? Not only is this diversity in the body of Jesus Christ acceptable, it's actually essential. You need the diversity. The body can't work properly if we're all hands or we're all eyes. The body has to have different parts, different gifts, or it won't work together effectively as a body. How? Just as he pleased God. Why is the foot a foot? Why is the hand a hand? Because it pleased the designer, God, to make it a foot or a hand. So the hand or the foot cannot take any pride in themselves being a hand or a foot. They can also not and should not be shamed for being a hand or a foot. Everyone serves the purposes of the designer. Guzik, in the design, we see the wisdom of the designer. Everybody has something, but nobody has everything. Okay, verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow greater honour. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Paul writes to those who are tempted with pride and a sense of superiority because of their gifts, uh, their place in the body. They can't say to other parts of the body, I have no need of you. Um, Then he goes on to say, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Often we consider parts of our own bodies unnecessary or of low importance until that body part gets hurt. 
Then all of a sudden we go, oh, I didn't realise how much I needed that muscle. I didn't realise how much that would help. I didn't realise I needed a kidney to live. The hand or the eye may seem to be more important uh, and it may have more glamour in that position, but it's not more necessary or more important than other parts of our body, particularly our internal organs. So Paul says, less honourable on these we bestow greater honour. The parts of our bodies that are normally covered by clothes, our private parts, are often considered less honourable. But we give them greater honour by clothing them so carefully. This is the point he's making. Adam Clark on the less honourable parts seems to mean the principle viscera, such as heart, lung, stomach, intestinal canals, private areas, internal areas. These, when compared with the arms and limbs, are comparatively weak, and some of them considered in themselves uncomely and less honourable, yet these are more essential to life than any of the others. Even so, God composed the body, having given greater honour to that part which lacks it. If somebody feels that they're a hidden or unglamorous member of the body of Jesus Christ, God knows how to bestow honour upon them that there should be no schism in the body. When we see it from God's perspective with the illustration of the body, there's never any reason for a schism in the body. The pride of the honourable member gets checked and the shame of the less honourable member also gets checked. Why? That the members should have the same care for one another. Paul's theological point that he's making about the nature of the body of Jesus Christ it comes to a very practical application because the Corinthian churches weren't caring for one another because they had different gifts and they had different roles. And he's saying, no, you need to care for one another because you're all part of the same body. Guzik says this, the parts of the body work together. The eyes and ears do not serve themselves only, but the whole body. The hands do not only feed and defend themselves, but they defend and feed the whole body. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, it serves the whole body. Sometimes there is a part of our body that only lives to serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body and everything it gets, it uses to feed and grow itself. We call this cancer. It's a great uh, description. Now, Spurgeon has an amazing quote about this particular concept of the members caring for each other and having different roles. I love this. I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can go and do it. There are empty pews about in abundance, so go and fill them, for we do not want you. Every Christian who is not a bee is a wasp. The most quarrelsome persons are the most useless, and they who are the most happy, are peaceable, are generally those who are doing the most for Christ. Observation, observational quote, Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> now, Paul could have, and some people think he should have just said to the church in Corinth, listen, why don't you just care for one another? But he, 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 he couldn't ignore the spiritual foundation of why he would say that. Uh, you could imagine just saying, listen, don't tell us the whole theology, just tell us what we need to do. But Paul wants more than them to just do what he tells them to do. He wants them to have an understanding of why they're doing it because he knows that ultimately that's what will be passed on. Now, 
Paul then finishes this little session section here. He said, and if one member suffers, then care for one another, uh, has now been explained here. Care for another. It means to have a heart towards, sympathy with our fellow members, even though they're different. Okay, verse 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul sums up his previous point. Even as the human body is unified as a whole with many different parts, so also is the body of Christ. And Paul is about to write about the different parts of the body of Christ. Now, uh, he goes on here to talk about what is later on taught in Ephesians chapter 4 as the Ascension Ministries and in the teaching on Ephesians chapter 4, we'll go through that, which is the offices of the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Here he mentions apostles, prophets, and teachers. Evangelists and pastors are talked about in the list in Ephesians 4. Here they are not. So I'm going to briefly go through these. What are apostles? Apostles are special ambassadors. They provide that oversight for the church. Um, They are the ones that govern the church. Uh, Then we have prophets. They're people who are particularly called to speak forth from God with the gift of prophecy. And there is a unique and foundational authority to this gift that the Apostle Paul would go on to preach, uh, teach about in Ephesians chapter 2. And God raises up those who speak to the church and the world with a special blessing and power as prophets. They are the ones who guide. So you've got the apostles who govern, you've got the prophets who guide the church. Now, I will say, if anybody does claim to be a prophet, uh, then I think they should be held accountable to the standard of a prophet, which is 100% accuracy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22. I I said there's too many people calling themselves prophets that say say things prophetically and they never come to pass and nobody holds them accountable and people still hang on their every word. Why are you doing that? I I don't understand. It's it's totally bizarre to me. I don't don't get it. Uh, If somebody's going to claim to be a prophet, they better get it right all the time. There's no, oh, well, sorry, I was a little bit off on that one. No, you read that. You either have that through the power of the Holy Spirit, which means you can't be wrong, or you didn't have it through the power of the Holy Spirit in the first place. Now, teachers. Teachers are those who ground. So you've got apostles governing. You've got prophets, prophets the office of a prophet. Uh, you've got them guiding. And then you've got the, the office of the teacher is somebody who grounds. They provide the grounding in teaching for the body of Christ. They help the church rightly divide the word of truth. They are teachers like Nehemiah was a teacher. He was asked not just to read the word to the people, but explain to them what it meant. Then we move on to workers of miracles. So we go apostles, 
prophets, teachers, workers of miracles. They're those used by God to do miracles. Now, the biblical pattern is for miracles to be done on the Holy Spirit's initiative, not on the initiative of the individual. So that's important to remember. Then you've got helps, which has in mind those who help, those who assist do the work of the Lord. Now, the term was used here in a Jewish context uh, because the Levites were termed by the Talmudists as helps of the priests. And that's the same term that is used here, helps. Now, Spurgeon says those who have uh, on those with the gift of helps. It strikes me that they were not persons who had any official standing, but that they were only moved by the natural impulse and the divine life within them to do anything and everything which would assist either teacher, pastor or deacon in the work of the Lord. They are the sort of brethren who are useful anywhere, who can always stop a gap and who are only too glad when they find that they can make themselves serviceable to the church of God in any capacity whatsoever. Spurgeon also goes on to describe some qualities of those people who are effective in the gift of helps. They have a tender heart to really care. They have a quick eye to see a need. They have a quick foot to get to the needy. They have a loving face to cheer those who need to be blessed. They have a firm foot so you will not fall yourself. They have a strong hand to grip the needy with, and they have a bent back to reach down to the man who needs to be reached. Just great observations. I just want to share them with you. So then Paul says, do all speak with tongues? Now, Paul's plain meaning here is that the gift of different kinds of tongues is not for every believer. Remember, we talked about the gift of speaking in tongues, that is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, that gift of tongues is a Doria gift, D-O-R-E-A. The gift of tongues talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, different kinds of tongues is the word charisma, charisma gifts, one given to the benefit of all. Paul's saying, does everybody have the charisma gift of speaking in tongues here? No, it's not for every believer. Just as the gifting of apostles, prophets, teachers, working of miracles or healings is also not for every believer. So that's why he says now, here's what you need to do. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Earnestly desire. Now, he's about to go on and talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. Okay, so remember that context. But he says, desire the best gifts because even though the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, it's good and proper for us to desire them, to ask for them, and then to be in submission to the plan of God. So we should not say, God, give me this gift in this moment or give me, but God, give me the gift you need me to have right now to carry out your mission for my life right now in this moment. That should be our prayer. And Paul's going to explain in 1 Corinthians 13 a more excellent way with a focus on love, not on the gifts themselves. The gifts are merely ways that we can express and receive love from God and love one another. They're how we carry out our mission. They are the containers. And what's in the container is love. And that's far more important because everything that God gives us and allows us to use these gifts for is expressing his love to people and to his body. So there you go. What do you observe from that today? A lot in it. I hope you really enjoyed this chapter. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we would just observe so much from this. Lord, that we would just listen to this over and over again. We would just be open to whatever you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.